pathways kept being able to come together and uh, you know working here at Riverside obviously we've uh, we, we do things a little differently it's uh, Marshall Stillman called me this week from Freed and he was writing a uh, paper about ministry um, and I've had, I actually have done this twice this year um, I don't know if that means that I'm getting old or what, how that works but people have called me asking me yeah, these questions about ministry and uh, you know, how I do, the, you know, prepping for sermons and kind of how it works. And I think I've, I've said a couple of times, like, well, you well know, Marshall, that we do things a little differently at Riverside and things are kind of set up differently. So it'll be interesting. Hopefully uh, he'll get a good grade regardless of the material he got. So, uh, but it was good talking to him and, and kind of just thinking about things. It's good to sit down and think about how we do things and how we can be better at things. And I, I think that uh, as human beings, really any human uh you know, whatever it may be, can always be better. And I think that that's, we shouldn't shut that down just because somebody is questioning. And I know as a coach, uh, I reached out to the guy that we, we played against uh, Friday night, and he's an older gentleman, and he's got that program going in the right direction. And I, I texted him, I said, I'd love to get with you on the, in the off season and see what you guys are doing, you know, because I want to learn, I want to be better, you know, and, and see how to, you know, at the very least, help young men grow and be better, you know, and he returned the favor. Well, we'd love to sit down. I mean, this guy's got years on me coaching, and, man, he just had those guys fired up, first-year program, and they got after us, you know, and I was really impressed with how they, they did things, and it's we need to be open to learning, and I think, you know, when we go to the biblical text, you know, if we go thinking, well, I've got the corner on this, and I, I'm, I understand it, and the only way possible that it can be understood, I think that we make a grave mistake. In fact, when people, I meet people like that, I tend to gravitate away from them uh, because that, that can be very dangerous. I think that we can all hopefully garner something new anytime we encounter the truth. And I think that is the beauty of it. As we get into Zechariah chapter 4, uh, this, this vision and really the first six chapters uh, is kind of presented at least in, a, in, in one vision, maybe one night of sleep. And I was talking with Coach Witt and told a few other people this this weekend, I think that, you know, between Thursday and Friday night, I may have gotten about four hours of sleep just thinking. My brain clicks on, and, you know, obviously after a game on Friday night, it's difficult anyways because you're thinking about all the things that went right, all the things that you got to get better. Uh, but it was, it was kind of crazy. It was eerie. Um, you know, somehow I convinced myself that I was back in the hospital, you know, and I'd reach over and, and, and you know, that Whitney was there, and so that was a good reminder of, hey, you're not in the hospital because, you know, that was something that wasn't allowed, you know. Um, and, and so it was just weird. The mind is a crazy thing, and it's built in such, such a way that I don't know that we'll ever completely understand everything that goes on with it, at least in mind. Uh, you know, I don't think that there's enough time and years to ever figure that out, or at least maybe in some ways I'm kind of hoping that. Uh, but, you know, we, we can convince ourselves. And I, I think about this vision, if you look at the first six chapters, and we will eventually, uh, the, the kind of fit that's kind of going on. And, and we're going from this idea, and I think it's this, this thing that he's wanting this guy to understand, is that the real power and the real motor behind things going is God. Uh, he keeps it all moving, and he keeps it moving exactly what you're talking about. You know, all things, we know Romans 8, you know, all things work for the good of those who love the Lord. And, you know, we can easily make a list just from this year of things that might make you question that, right? You may scratch your head and be like, you know, how in the world is this going to work this way? 
You know, and regardless of what happens on Tuesday, our prayer should be, whatever the outcome, God, may you be glorified. And may people, people be people, I'll get it out in a minute, brought closer to you and to reflect you. Right? We believe in a God who absolutely can do that. And there are people out there who will say certain circumstances are irredeemable. And when I see that, or maybe that acted out, or I think, you know, well, the Lord would like to have a word with you, right? He would like to have a word with you. And, and, and some of the greatest triumphs ever are what we would deem lost causes. Lost causes. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, the confusion there is because everything looked, smelled, was in the process of being a lost cause. And God redeemed that. He used that. He used death on a cross mentioned as an abomination to bring about redemption for mankind. And in this, this passage of Zechariah is this idea that God is going to take two men. He's going to take a priest who will spiritually, through him, spiritually God is going to renovate the Israelite's soul and through one, physically renovate or rebuild the temple. And those can happen at the same time. There's this justification with sanctification. And I think it makes a great connection. We'll eventually make our way to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and talk about that for a minute. But we're going to start in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1, talking about the lampstands and two our lampstand and two olive trees. Then the angel who had been talking with me, returned and woke me as though I had been asleep. What do you see now, he asked. I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl of oil on top of it. Around the bowl are seven lamps, each having seven spouts with wicks. And I see two olive trees, one of each side of the bowl. Then I asked the angel, what are these, my Lord? What do they mean? Don't you know, the angel asked. No, my Lord, I replied. Then he said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, May God bless it. May God bless it. And so we'll pause there for a minute. I want you to think about kind of the... The, the comparison of images here. Notice that he says it's not really going to be by military might. Right? Well, what a key that the apostles could have latched onto, right? When we see these parables where it says the kingdom of God is like, there, there's never this idea of a military idea. One guy's throwing seed everywhere, you know, uh, randomly throwing it all out. And, and you've got the kingdom of God is like, well, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And they're all kind of like scratching their head like, when we think of the kingdom of God, we think of a kingdom, how does that happen? It's a coup, right? There's a military, there's an army that shows up and destroys everything and conquers. Or there's an army who defends. And he says, oh, it's not going to be military style. You know, they're, they're, the Lord of Heaven's armies, who has a military, by the way, one of angels, one of there wouldn't even really be a fight, but I don't even need that. It's going to be a spiritual battle. Jesus himself. My kingdom is not of this world. You know, if it was, my servants would fight. I think that's implied and they would win. You know, it would not be close. 
It would not be much of a fight at all. It wouldn't be much of a battle at all. And he's saying, I don't need that approach because I'm going to do it almost, you might use the word, subversively. It's, it's going to be this thing that just starts off so small that it's a blip on the radar and then it's just going to overtake the world. Maybe if we were doing a modern idea, we might think of kudzu, right? It's, it's going to start off real small, and it's just going to grow, and it's going to show up all over the place. By the time, you know, Paul writes, he says, hey, there, there are believers in, in Caesar's home. You know, there are believers here who have infiltrated every level of society to where a lot of people look at historically and go that Christianity is one of the reasons that Rome fell. It was so counterculture to the foundation of that country that had been built on, that it was so different that it rocked the foundation of that government and may have some way, shape, form aided the downfall. That's one of the reasons I think that we as a country want to hold so tightly to that belief in God because we believe that our country was founded on the principles of Judeo-Christianity. And we know that really those are the principles that will stand for eternity. And so he's making this statement once again, right? Jesus himself makes the statement. If, if you want this mountain into the ocean, it can be done. If you want this mountain leveled to be built on, it will happen. This temple will be destroyed in three, and rebuilt in three days, right? It makes no sense from an earthly strategy at all. It took, it took forever to build this temple. Are you kidding me? In three days? I mean, it was insanity to those people because they were not open to seeing it from a spiritual standpoint. That's not me judging them because I've certainly swung and missed uh, on many occasions. But the beauty of it is, is then comes the sanctification process. We're justified in Jesus. The sanctification continues till the day that we die on this earth. Verse 8, Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work to begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. If we back up just a few moments and we talk about the lampstand, that's another thing that's going to show up if you read Revelation, right? If you don't get right, I'm going to come and remove your lampstand. Uh, this is talking, speaking of things that are inside the temple. The golden lampstand with the olive oil. The oil keeps those things burning. He mentions seven bowls of olive oil or seven olive trees. And the idea there is this: when this light is lit, it will burn forever. There will not be a running out of it. It will continue. Much similar to what Jesus says about you know, the kingdom of heaven and the, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It will be eternal in nature. How many things can we look at and truly in this world say that's eternal in nature? It's not. There are very few things, right? If any, outside of the spiritual life found in Jesus. That in itself is such a countercultural to the way our minds work, right? We lose an hour. We gain an hour. I've got to be here at this certain time. I've got to do this at a certain time. And I've got to move on, right? It always is funny to me how the kids are always watching the clock. You know, they want to know what time it is so that they can hurry up and go to the next class and then wait on that class to end until we can go get a biscuit. And then we're on to the next. 
Uh, you know, and we think that that's interesting, but we do the same thing, right? I'll just do it again. No matter how successful we are in football this year, guess what? That won't matter next year. It, it changes. Those things, we have to get, we play by a clock all the time. And we have a God who's above the clock. Now, for some reason in my messed up mind, when I think about what he talks about, this lampstand, I, I picture this, you know, from time to time. I don't think people do it very much now, but the spinning the plates, you know, I'm hitting the plate, and it's spinning, and, and there's this person frantic, frantically keeping this. And uh, there's occasionally this, uh, this Asian lady who gets on a uh, unicycle. She does basketball games, and when she performs at halftime of Alabama basketball games, it's this huge event. I've literally never seen the video. I've never seen her do it, but, man, Twitter is nuts that we Oh, we got to go to the basketball game to see the lady balancing poles on her nose. You know, <laughs> I don't know. You know, the basketball game is secondary. And so there's this idea, and, and we might fall. That's how we may look when we think about our schedules. You know, I'm, I'm keeping this plate. You know, well, football. Uh, you know, campus ministry, uh, Bible uh, preaching. Uh, you know, right? And, and anybody who's had a job knows. Hey, I'm just spinning those, right? And from my mind, I read this and I see God is going. Oh, I don't have to maintain any of it. It's just there. You know, the bowls are spinning. The world continues, and who's in charge? God is. And it's through that he says, hey, you're kind of like this thing that I'm going to keep charged. The, the downfall of ministry and as preachers and anybody who serves anybody is when we serve from our own strength. I got a nice piece of paper in my classroom. You can go see it. I'll show it to you. That said at one time in 2003 that I was the smartest guy in the world. I knew it all. I was going to go to North Broad Street Church of Christ and I was going to implement the greatest youth ministry you've ever seen. The greatest program. And thousands of people were going to come rushing to be a part of my program, right? And in 2006, I was ready to run the complete other direction. That's happened once before as well. 1999, 2000 there. I've been a youth minister for a year and I was done. Done. And then all of a sudden, I got that message. Hey, man. It's not you who, who keeps these bowls turning, you know. It's not you who keeps the machine oiled. You are part of the machine. The sovereign God who can take Zerubbabel and Jeshua, guys that people may not have remembered in history if it hadn't been for the Word of God. These two guys are going to get the job done, and not because they're awesome or they're really super talented or they've been given all this wonderful ability it will be the spirit of god he will see it finished why because god wants it finished god doesn't want it finished it won't get done he starts talking about this plumb line and what they would use and, and people out there who build things you know this better than i do you probably could get up here and explain it better than me and i would be glad to let you do it because i can't build anything i'm the demolition guy you want to tore up you want it tore up? Ask me and my kids to come over. We'll tear it up. It'll be in shreds very quickly, right? But it was basically to, to make sure the wall was vertical. There wasn't a bend. You know, it wasn't this way, that way, messing up. Straight up and down. And God says, hey, I'm going to bring my plumb line. And I'm going to make sure it's straight. I'm going to make sure it gets done. I think about Noah. Hey, I want you to build this boat. What? You know, how much ability did he have to build? I don't know. He may have shown up and had zero. 
But it's a lot of times that happens in Scripture that this guy, you know, Peter, I'm going to just be honest with you, Peter might be one of the last guys I'd choose to teach anything. Right? He generally thinks he knows what's going on and has no clue what's going on. And yet God uses him in Acts 10, right? He probably could have, might have even found somebody a little less stubborn to do it. Three times? Right? <laughs> It's almost like that shows up again and again in Peter's life. Like you have to tell him three times. Daniel, there's hope, brother. Wherever you're at, there's hope because that's the minimum, right? You just got to get ready to say it three times. And, and then you could just whip him three times. He's still going to be like, I don't, I don't, what is it you want me to get? I don't know. And discipline him over and over again. But guess what? Right there with him. It, it, there's no doubt as to why Peter's the one who asks, you know. How many times do I have to forgive somebody? Well... And, and, and Peter, you're going to want to rejoice in this in the future. Seventy times seven. You know? And those are just the times we have recorded. <laughs> we, don't, we don't get all the other times that he, he probably asked something that was just boneheaded, right? But I think that's why we find so much in connection with him. Because, man, I think about my prayers ten years ago. I think about my prayers two years ago. I think about my prayers last week, and I'm a little embarrassed. Like, Are you sure that's what you were asking for? If God wants it done... Even if we don't want it done, there's no stopping him. It will get finished. It will be completed. Even on the days where we feel like we're the most discombobulated group of people on the planet, God will have his way. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, very quickly as we close our time together, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is dealing with a similar situation. And, you know, I think that we... Corinthians is a great example to us, uh, especially those of us that come from a very legalistic background. Uh, I tend to reference to the kids. Of course, they may not even get this reference anymore, but First Corinthians, or the Corinthian church to me is like the Jerry Springer of Christianity, man. I mean, there's some crazy stuff going on here. You know, at best, there's a guy having a relationship with his stepmother, right, which has got to be interesting to have to deal with and i mean that's the best scenario we won't even think about the worst part possibly but there's these all these kinds of issues you know and in chapter one he starts with the idea of division in the church there are people who who are putting stock in who baptized them you know well i was baptized by this preacher and you and, I, and that's that's that makes me a little better than you and and puts me a little up in the hierarchy of the kingdom you know and he's like what, what are you talking about like that has no place. And he goes in verse 28 and 29 for Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. What did he just tell them? You're not very smart, right? You, you, compared to worldly standards, you, you, you don't understand a lot of things, you know, even in that, you know. And, and you know, he's, he's surrounded by people. You know, Paul's probably the most educated of the apostles. You know, you, you get in the, chat, the book of Acts, and it's not too soon till they realize, hey, these guys we're dealing with are not really educated. They're not really trained to be doing the things that they're doing, you know. And, and once again, we have an example of God using people to where no one's going to look at those people and go, oh, man, those guys are awesome. Aren't they so religious? Kind of how we treat our preachers. You know, oh, they carry themselves. I remember growing up and looking at my preacher who, who in no way projected this, right? I just assumed because he got up in front of everybody and he wore a suit and tie 
that, man, Gary Gooch must have had it together. And he never messed up. He never had bad thoughts. He was just straight-laced as can be. No issues. Well, then I get older and I realize, oh, that's not true. He had kids of his own. You know, uh, he's got he's got extended family like I've got extended family. You know that you know you don't have to go that far to see. But hey, we all have those issues. We all have those back. You know that baggage. But that's a lie from Satan himself. Oh, so and so's got it. They don't need this preaching thing. That's why they get to do it. Well, let me tell you, if the message has not gotten across to you yet, that is not the case at Riverside. We were talking about how different Riverside is. Well, then if that's the case with every other preacher, it's not that way here. I do not have it together. Zero together. Right? And if you don't believe me, come to football practice. Come to kindergarten PE, and there will be examples for everyone to see of how messed up this old guy is up here. And she says, by worldly standards, you're not very smart. And then you believe in this Christian thing. And people really think you're crazy. How can an educated guy like Paul, right? Your studies have driven you mad, Paul. You are out of your mind. Paul even goes, if the resurrection's not true, we are to be pitied. Because we are sacrificing and suffering for that notion. And all the apostles died in unfun ways, and that's being kind. Other than John, who he got to be in exile, you know. Here's your prize, John. Hey, you lasted forever. (laughs) You know. You think one of them would have been like, listen, it's been a fun run. It's been great. I've enjoyed being a part of this group. But having my skin pulled off one layer at a time just a bridge too far. I'm going to have to burst everybody's bus, bus bubble. This is not real. It's not real. No. No. They were committed. They were committed to the cause that Christ raised the third day. And the beauty of it is not only did he raise the third day, but as Paul is about to point out, he has seen fit to come in his spirit and indwell faulty fallen, sinful, people who can't sometimes even tie their shoestrings right. Can't even get to school, get to work without messing it up. And showing an example of just fallen man to his kids. And yet he chooses us just as he chose Zerubbabel and Yeshua and really even more so to be the example of his spirit. For I consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. The best thing I hear when somebody, I tell somebody my last name is there's a coach somewhere that's won a lot of state championships. I think he's a distant cousin, but I get asked, oh, you kin to that Coach Creasy? Maybe. Is it spelled the same? Well, yeah, well, yeah. He's unfortunate enough to be kin to me. Yes, (laughs) that's it. But other than that, there's not much creasy connection to nobility. <laughs> Can't you tell? Uh, you know, there's not a lot of that <laughs> noble blood in me for sure. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Foolish is a good way to describe me. Somewhere in some dictionary somewhere, there's my face. <laughs> You know, and typically on a Friday night. I mean, uh, you know, people that are documenting pictures get, get fun times there. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised of the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Now, if we believed in a God that was far away and far from us and not involved in our everyday life, it would be very, very simple for me to go, yeah, yeah, but that, of course I'm not going to boast when I'm at the judgment seat. But compared to James, I mean, I, I've got it going on, right? I, I was baptized by Apollos. Apollos! Isn't that awesome? Well, yeah, that's awesome. But that's not another star in your crown. Well, I mean, I mean, it's certainly better than, I mean, Coach Witt's better than me. He was baptized by Paul. And Paul's saying, no, it has nothing to do with your place in the kingdom. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God, but we understand, and Paul understands, and he's going to talk about that temple that we are. He says, where's the presence of God? It's right here. As a group, as a body, we are in the presence of God. But then it doesn't stop there. The presence of God, we as individuals are the temple of God, and therefore we are always 24-7 in the presence of God. And so in that, it invokes us a humility that the only thing that makes me worthy in the sight of God is that His Son, His Spirit indwells me. I have put on Christ, and in Christ there is no condemnation. And so it's not a comparison game. It's not a you're this or you're that. We have people who say people who have abortion have had abortion are irredeemable. We have people who will say, well, if you're a racist, you're irredeemable. And Jesus says, I would like to have a word. I would like to have a word. I stand before you a sinner who I fall back in that lifestyle and I have thoughts that would make some of you cry because they make me cry. But I tell you that I've been justified by faith in Christ Jesus and the sanctification, a.k.a. the adventure, continues. And I'm so thankful for that, that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly so that we, although remaining sometimes in the flesh and thinking a certain way and having thoughts that flash across our mind that would embarrass us and do embarrass us, can stand in the presence of God and know that our sins are forgiven, they are no more, and that one day Jesus will look at us and tell us, enter, receive your reward, because when you did it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. So the challenge this morning and the question that rings throughout time, the question that was asked to Adam and Eve, where are you? Did God not know where they were? Please. <laughs> he knew where they were. He knew physically on a map where they were. But He wanted them to answer the question in regards to their relationship to Him. Where are you? you. And every time we hear the truth preached and proclaimed, we must ask that question. Am I in Christ? 
Am I looking more and more like Him every day? Am I letting the Spirit have sway in my life? Where are you? Are you outside of Christ? You've never given your life to Him. You've never uh, been, been baptized into His blood. You've never put Him on. Then where are you is standing with the condemned. And I want to encourage you today that God does not want you to stay there. He has done everything in His power to give you the avenue, to give you the opportunity to no longer stay with that group. But it is your choice. No one else can answer, no one else can answer that question. This morning as we get ready to sing this song of encouragement, that's exactly what it is. All of us, my hope and prayer, are convicted by the truth. So in that, you are not alone. Well, I don't want to go up there because I'll be by myself. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. We would love nothing more than to love you, put our arms around you, whatever you may be comfortable with, whatever your personal bubble is, whatever you would like for us to do, we stand here singing along with you to let you know that you, in fact, are not alone and that we love you with the love of the Lord. If you have a need, won't you come as we stand and sing? Thank you.